Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com Conair is spreading love and celebrating women. Not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girl Bomb. Girl Bomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girl Bomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self care. So, to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you, and treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. Lady Bosses, and then an iHeartRadio podcast. Allie Webb in studio. Allie, you are very famous. <laughs> so true. I've not had an interview started that way. So true. But thank you. I don't think dry that. dry bars, right? A hundred? Well, 107 as of Friday. Oh my gosh. Isn't that crazy? We like That's to be crazy. different. It's a lot so, of hot air. So if, if anybody out there is listening and wondering who is Allie Webb, she is the founder of of the very popular dry bar, which is now all over the United States, uh, I think I want to start at the beginning. Let's all do right. that, Ben. Let's start at the beginning. Why dry bar? Well, for a guy, it might be a little bit hard. I to don't understand. get it. I know. Well, most guys did it. Well, and first tell people what it is. So dry bar is a blow dry bar. Only blowouts. No cuts, no color, just blowouts. And that's all we do. So we wash your hair, then we blow it out. But it's not like we're just blowing it out. It's like when you go you know, to a hair salon and get your hair cut or colored and then they wash it and blow it out and you feel like kind of like red carpet ready. So you're certainly not the first guy who is like, I don't understand what a blowout is. And even when my brother and my husband are my business partners and they're both bald, ironically, but my brother was like, I don't understand Sarah, his wife blow dries her hair herself or she has like that stick straight hair which okay. I have naturally very curly frizzy hair and growing up in South Florida made it even worse to get my hair to be somewhat manageable but yeah I mean my brother's first reaction to this business idea was like I don't understand why would a woman pay to have her hair blown out and I was like well well listen um most girls 99% of girls I believe you know have have hair that's like unruly hard to manage curly frizzy it just doesn't look great when they wake up or when they try to stop it themselves there's like a small subset of women like my brother's wife sarah who has like stick straight hair the hair that i dreamt of who can like get out of the shower and her hair dries stick straight and looks really pretty and whatever but most women which you may or may not know as a guy like their hair doesn't you know they dry bar has given women like a place to go to have their hair look mm -hmm. really like voluptuous and beautiful and it's funny because my husband who knows what my hair dries like naturally which is a crazy frizzy 
mess. He, when, when I came to him with this idea, he was like, you know, you get your nails done once a week, but I don't really notice. And he's like, but when you get a blowout, it's the first thing I notice about you. It's like the frame of your face. Yeah. And it's like, and we hear that from women all the time who like sometimes will sneak to dry bar on their lunch break and they come back and, you know, they're like, something's different. Like you look really good. What happened? You know? And so it's actually it's been, like a pick do you me notice up. girl's hair? Like, yeah, that's a good question. When, like, do you look at, cause you're saying your husband didn't notice when you got your nails done. Yeah. yeah. And do you notice things like that? I would like to say yes. <laughs> I don't, I cannot promise. But you know, it's probably more like you see a girl, you think she's, are you married, dating something? He's single. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. You're really cute. <laughs> no I don't problem. know why you're single. Well, thanks Allie. Um, that's really sweet. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you have girls. This is, my, but listen to this. You have an important role today, Allie, because part of this is training me to be a better partner for a woman one day when they say, Notice her hair. I want to go pay to get my hair blown out. And I'll say, You've never like dated a girl who's been going to dry bar who never mentioned it? I don't date very often, Allie. I feel like I should have done my research. <laughs> I think I'm like true. missing something I feel like here. That's not yeah. True. Um, no. But, but I mean, I guess when you, when you see a girl and she looks like really put together, like her, her outfit is good. Her hair looks good. It's just, you, yeah. as a guy, you probably notice like the mm -hmm. whole thing and you're like, yeah, she's a pretty girl or whatever. But if her hair was like a crazy frizzy mess, you probably may not be able to say like, oh, I don't think that girl's pretty because her hair doesn't look good. It's just an overall feeling. And I think that's why women have, are so drawn to dry bar because it does give them that extra edge, that like confidence when, because when women's hair looks good, they feel really good and really confident about themselves, which exudes from them. You know, this is not, I don't mean to say that this is the only dry bar is great just because we make women look good. It's more that we're making women feel good. And that mm. confidence that come out, I mean, out I feel, feel good. good after I go to dry bar. I was like, I did do. you just go to dry bar? No, no. <laughs> but I feel good. Well, today I feel good. And then well, your hair looks after good. I go to, <laughs> so after I go to dry bar too. So from a business though, this is something that just like most things that we consume or uh, do in life, it's not a necessity. This is not something I mean, it, it, you might, you know, it is because it's making them feel. Totally. But how then do you market this and explain and convert all these people over to a, consumer? Over a million blowouts a year. A million blowouts a year. To, how do you convert regular people? Like I grew up in Indiana. So so a lot of people in Indiana, uh, they're just starting now to really treat themselves and really care right. about how they feel. It used to just be, let's get through life and let's you know sacrifice everything just to, to make it. Now they're really totally. concentrating on, let's do some things. That make us feel great. Right. So how then are you marketing and communicating to the mass public on, yeah, this you might be able to say, oh, why would I go pay to get my hair blown out? But you're saying, no, it's worth it. How do you do that? So, well, let me take you back more to the beginning, because when we first started and I, the way that we started, I have, like I said, I have naturally curly hair. I've been a professional hairstylist for 20 years now. And when I was got married. I had two kids. I have two kids and they were, they were young and I was living in LA. My husband was creative director of an, ad, an advertising agency, which by the way, he does all the branding and all of that for dry bar. Um, and I started a, just to get out of the house and get away from my kids for a couple hours. I started this, a mobile business called straight at home where I would go to women's houses and blow out their hair. And I was only charging $40 to go to their home, which as you know, when you go to women, well, you may not know, but you definitely know when you go to a woman's home and you're blow drying their hair at their house, $40 is like dirt cheap. But it was more about me getting out of the house, getting away from the kids and doing this. 
anyways, what I re- what started to happen was I got really busy really fast. And what I what I learned in that time was that women had two bad choices they could for to get just a blowout was either to go to the full service salon and try to get a stylist to do it, even though the stylist would rather be doing a cut and color and making more money in that hour, or go to like the discount chains, like the fantastic Sam's of the world. So there was no place to go that was just for blowouts. So when that's when the idea kind of started percolating mm. for me. I'm and so I was, sorry. What's fantastic sam's should i know it's like it's like a it's like a little like like a small hair salon that's like very chain okay. and it's it's not like it's very god no one's ever asked me to explain it i don't Sorry, know I, I, it's <laughs> like it's like a side hair salon and you're it's saying it's like a small like it's not like great it's not like a high-end salon it's a lower and chainy cut. kind of salon. okay super yeah. cut super cut there yes that's okay. perfect thank you um Anyway, so I realized that there was this big hole in the market and I thought, and this is when I went to my brother, Michael, and my husband, Cam, and I was like, I think I should turn because I had to start saying no to all my clients because I didn't have enough time. And I was like, do I bring on other stylists and, you know, expand this mobily? But I was like, I think I should turn my, my mobile business into a brick and mortar and start an actual place where women come to me instead of me going to them. It was a hunch. And I was like, I think there's enough women in LA because I'm so busy because I'm only charging 40 bucks for just a blowout. I feel like there's enough women who feel like I do. They can't do their own hair. They're figuring it out the way I always had. So maybe I could open a place that would cater to that my mobile clients. And that was, so it was real small, the idea when we, when we opened. And sure enough, with the more women I talked to, the more women were like, yes, I wish there was a place like this. Like I, and I, as a kid, dreamt of a place like this because of my unruly, crazy hair. So that was, that was how the idea started. So we opened the first store in Brentwood in 2010 and women started flocking to it. Now mm. I, we thought, and my brother certainly thought that this was going to be, you know, it was very LA centric. Like women, mm-hmm. he always said, I don't think this, but he always said like LA women have too much time, too much money, care too much about their parents. That's why it will work in LA. But I knew that like there, so many women just can't manage their own hair. And if to have somebody else do their hair instead of them having to do it, not only are they going to look good, they're going to actually save time. Women are usually on their laptops. It's like a 45 minute escape. So to answer your question, I do think there's been a huge like resurgence and move in like self-care. And I think mm-hmm. it's so great that women are not only getting blowouts, but like taking care of themselves and doing more and more things for themselves. But what, what started to happen was there was this subset of women like me and my friends who were like knew about a blowout were getting blowouts. But then there was a much bigger subset, I believe, of women who'd never even heard of a blowout. And they're like, what what Mm -hmm. you know and what would happen is like a friend or whatever would give them like a gift card to dry bar because they had a wedding or a bar mitzvah to go to so they would go and get their hair blown out on like a friday because they were going to a special event so they felt like they wanted like more fancy hair and so they would go and they would be like oh my god for 35 dollars, well we're 45 dollars now I can like look this good on a Tuesday, like sign me up. So it's like this addictive behavior that develops once we get them in. So in terms of like marketing, you know, like I'll give anybody a free blowout any day of the week who's never been to dry bar because I just want you to go in and experience it. Because once you experience how great you look and feel after you have a blowout, you're like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to do this every week. Ben, they played chick flicks all day. They're like movies. And then they bring you champagne and they have cookies. Like, and it's and it's set up like a bar. Do you rub my head? Yes. We well, get the shampoo. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's my favorite. You want to rub my, if you ever like I'll come in just to get my head rubbed. A lot yeah. of guys do. It's Go called a floater. Head rubbed. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman notoriously comes to Brentwood all the time for scalp for head rubs. Really? Well, a lot of guys do, especially yeah. if they're like there. I mean, because it's really some male customers. We we do. I mean, really more mostly in West Hollywood, but we do have some guys that are coming in. But 
I mean, a lot of women would yeah. say that that they and we do like a ten uh, minute extra scalp massage. I can, I can feel it right now as we're talking. I do really, I really like. I just fell asleep for a second because because I thought get about when man, I get my head rubbed. Get this man a oh. scalp massage. No, that's what great. happens when you're single. You don't get your head rubbed very often. You need Aww. to just go to Dry Bar. I gotta go. To they dry would bar. love you there. Um, okay, I I have a question because I, I'm just here. Uh, in the next few months, going to start opening up my first uh, brick and mortar locations for for Generous, which is the coffee company that I operate. And one of the issues which is really exciting, really That's neat, yeah, really excited about it. But one of the issues I'm it's having generous, generous, yeah, we'll talk about it. It's I really good. Yeah, I'll it. send you some coffee. It's yes, great coffee. I love coffee. Um, Drinking coffee. Right how now. do you predict foot traffic while you have a hundred stores now? So you start with this idea in Brentwood. You're like, okay, I've gone around. Um, I, I have enough clientele from my in-home visits to make this make sense to open up a location here in LA. And then all of a sudden you've taken the jump to to franchising and licensing out these dry bars. Well, all- they're predominantly company owned, but there are some franchises. Okay. Um, so you're licensing. Franchising. Franchising. Yeah. Um, how do you predict foot traffic? in these areas because that's my biggest issue is I have yeah. no clue. I can say this many people leave, live in the location, but how do you, how do you predict this? So for us and we always go, I mean, obviously we're just attracting women and for, there's, there's a couple of things here, but the for, for, first and foremost, it's like, we want to be in like a daily use shopping center or center area. So that means like where a woman would go and get a manicure, where she might have lunch with her girlfriends, where she can go shopping, where there's things that she can do around dry bar. So that's always like the key indicator for us. Parking has to be easy enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially, especially for us, because a lot of women are like coming in right before they go to work. So if they have to spend 20 minutes looking for or 15 yeah. or even 10 minutes looking for a parking spot, they're like, screw it. I'm out of here. So we need parking to be really like easy, convenient or have valet. So for us, it's a little bit of a destination, but we, we do want to allow for the fact that they, we want them to do other things when they're in their center because it just gets them there even more. So you totally can find data on a neighborhood you're going in in terms of like household income and how many people live in this area but what you're most best served which we've learned the hard way is like you know working with not only like a local real estate person but some but knowing if you're like let's say you're looking in a certain neighborhood like I live in Studio City and you know there's I could tell you if you asked me, like there's parts of Studio City that would be great for a coffee shop because I know there's like people who are always going to kind of this area. Mm-hmm. But you you open on the next block over and no and it's demographically it's the same as the other place that people are walking, but nobody walk and only people who live in that neighborhood or people who know that neighborhood are gonna be able to say, Hey, Ben, this is a great overall area. But if you go down the street or on the other side of the street, nobody's gonna come to your place mm-hmm. no matter how great it is you know, within reason. So we've learned that the hard way because we have opened on the wrong side of the street in the right neighborhood mm. before. And it's but hard. It's interesting how you're thinking about it. You know, you want them to go to the other businesses. So it is kind of like you do. you're supporting this whole totally. I mean, group of businesses. It's yeah, not just about 100%. dry bar. It's about all of these other. And, and then we have found that we have great relationships with so many other businesses like, you know, Soul Cycle and like my good friend owns Olive in June. So, you know, we like we like to be like by nail salons, you know, we, we like in in Beverly Hills, we're right by La Scala, Olive in June. You know, there's so there's things that women are going to do 
by all drive bar locations. You know, but Blushington, which is a makeup concept. I'm not sure you probably have no idea what that is. It's no, a I'm learning concept. as we're going like here. Dry bar for makeup. I'm just trying to keep up. You should yeah. check it out. <laughs> but I mean, they have. You know, their part. I mean, honestly, part of their strategy has been to open where we are, Face House, which is like a quickie facial thing. They've opened right by us, and all of these Face House, Face House. So have you not heard of Face no, House? No, I'm going to try. You that. should. They give great facials, and it's like a, it's like a quickie kind of facial, less expensive than going to a spa and spending, you know, $150. It's like $60 or something. There's there's one right on Ventura. I mean, there's one next to our West Third location. So co-tenancy is very, very important, I believe, when you're opening a business that you need the foot traffic. Interesting. So, I mean, it also sounds one of the key takeaways for me here is having a very realistic view of what your brand is. So you're not claiming that you're going to draw people in from 20 miles just to get a blowout. You know, you're saying, hey, not necessarily, not necessarily. I mean, it yeah. might have to happen in some locations, yeah. but you're saying, OK, this is going to be uh, something they uh, consume. And then also it'd be great for them to have the ability to maybe work out before or after to go get the nails done, like make this grab coffee, grab whatever coffee. it is to meet a friend. Yeah. I mean, you want you want all that stuff to be there. You, to your point, you don't want to have to go. You know, if you're if your business is like in a in a destination that is like a pain to get to, I mean, obviously you don't want to be there. You know, but and also I think that there's something to be said about not being on Main and Main. You know, not we very often will be off the beaten path, and then others end up following us or mm, vice okay. versa. And and having good relationships with um, landlords and other tenants to kind of know because sometimes we'll find a space that's too big and we'll go to like I'll call Candace Nelson from Sprinkles and be like, Hey, are you thinking about putting a Sprinkles over here? Because we have this big space, or you know, whoever, just to op- to, oh, get, to get in there. Interesting that you guys all talk, and that's so funny. But I mean, this is eight years of yeah. taking figuring this out. The Brentwood location was like pure gut, and at that time, it was 2010. We were in a recession. I remember walking around Brentwood Gardens where Drybar is before we opened it was the first one, and there was like nobody in the center. And my brother and I felt pretty strongly and bullish about mm-hmm. this location, and because it was kind of centered around where my mobile business was coming from. And my brother and I went to look at like construction and there was nobody. And my brother was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, how are we going to do business here? And I was like, of course I was, I'm I'm such a like, it's all going to work out. Everything's going to be great. And I'm like, they're going to come, they're going to come, they're going to come. And, and sure enough, they did. And we started getting like the owners of the other businesses coming to meet us and be like, dude, you revitalize the center. So it's really neat. So uh, we had to personally guarantee that first loan, that first lease in dry bar bar and Brentwood gardens because they didn't believe in the concept and it was so foreign and brand new. And now we have landlords coming to us asking us to open the center because we bring a hundred plus women a day to dry bar. Crazy. Wait, I want to bring it back to starting the business. So yes, you, um, I, I'm the oldest of four. I have two brothers and a sister, but um, you started this business with your brother and my previously, husband. and your husband. <laughs> previously, you had started a business with your brother, and your parents told you not to work together. Yes, and you s- then started Dry Bar with your brother. I mean, yes. I just like, do you guys? <laughs> why fight? in the hell did they do yeah, that? Why did you? Do, if your parents are like, well, do not do. So this. to give you a little backstory, me and my brother. So my brother, I don't know how old you guys are. If you guys remember Family Ties, do you remember that show? Alex P. Keaton. <laughs> Yes. So my brother was Alex B. Keaton and he was definitely like the overachiever of the family. And I always grew up a little bit in his shadow. He was always doing great things or always in trouble. And I was always much more like quiet and reserved. And anyways, long story short, out of high school, I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I thought I wanted to work in fashion. I was really all over the place. And I moved to New York City. My brother and I 
Michael was living in New York too. He was working for Nicole Miller, which was, you know, a designer and she was kind of a big deal. This was like 20 years ago. She's a ago. big designer. She's still a big She's designer. She's still a big designer. Yeah. But not as well. And she was really famous in the designer yeah. world back then. Anyways, I was manager or assistant manager at the Soho Nicole Miller boutique in New York City. And Michael was working in the corporate office. And Michael was like, hey, what if we move back to South Florida where we grew up and opened a couple of Nicole Miller boutiques in like Miami and, and Boca? And I was like, okay. I mean, I was all of like, 20 at the time and so we decided to do that and they were successful I mean it was like you know we, we that was a licensed deal you know you bought the clothes you put the store in and again I thought I wanted to work in fashion but here I was managing two retail operations and if you know Miami and Boca they're about an hour apart it's a terrible drive and I was like 20 years old commuting back and forth from Miami and managing two staffs and I was like oh this is not good and my we were very young so I was around 20 Michael was around 23 and we're running this operation and I just like this I don't like this I'm not super happy and Michael and I were just fighting about everything you know I was I think because I wasn't happy doing what I was doing I think I mean Michael isn't here to defend himself but I feel like he was always out playing golf and he was just such an asshole and I was always mad at him and so and, and it really drove a wedge between us and we had always been super super close growing up super tight so this was like really wreaking havoc on our relationship and finally it, it, but it is what gave me like the nudge I think I needed to say, listen, I've tried all these other things. I think I'm going to go to beauty school because I've always really loved hair and I want to focus on that. Where my parents were like, you want to go to beauty school? Like they were not down with it. They didn't see any kind of vision where my brother was like, I could totally see you in this industry. You can, you'll move to New York and do like editorial and fashion shows and it'll be perfect for you. So he was actually, even though I was petrified of telling him I wanted to leave Nicole Miller, he was like kind of relieved too. And he wanted out too. So it ended up being a good thing because we were having like screaming matches in the store and it was so bad. And so we went our separate ways. I went to beauty school, started working in hair salons. And then we, you know, we weren't like seeing or talking to each other all that much anymore because we had our own lives. You know, I met my husband, got married, we were doing our own thing. And when he saw the success I was having with straight at home, my mobile business, you know, and we started talking about working together, my parents were like, you guys are out of your minds. Like, mm -hmm. please don't work together again. It, it was like so, it was so rough on like our family and whatever. And so I I had, a, we had a lot of like come to Jesus talks where I was like, you can't act like this and you can't talk to me like this. And you, I mean, we we knew how to push each other's buttons. And, but I think the, re, the real reason it really worked was because here I had now spent a whole bunch of years in hair and working in salons. Like I really knew this business better than Michael because Michael always knew more than me or so he thought. Yeah. And so it was a very like, so like, I feel like I, you I should be here. This. I feel really bad. No, you don't. No, this is <laughs> terrific. Essentially you let it breathe. Like, yeah. yeah. And you so took a couple years and you both got some experience and we grew up and we were much more mature. And so when I came to him with this idea and he had such a great level of respect because I knew this business that he knew nothing about. But he's this like very smart business guy and, you know, he's great business instincts. And so I really needed him too. And I remember Cameron, my husband being like, Michael's never going to do this with you when I started having this idea. And I was like, no, I think he is gonna, I think he wants to do it. And we had a lot of, you know, heart to heart conversations about how this would be. But again, because I knew this business better than he did, there was so much more respect than there was like maybe mm. in the Nicole Miller days that made it really work out. And, and, and really we have extremely different skill sets. I've learned so much over the last, you know, eight years about building a business and real estate and all that stuff. And 
So it's it's got it's always been really good, and we've never I and mean, we've had a couple of really bad fights, but it's not anything like it was in the Nicole Miller days. And it's like we really all enjoy working together now. So, and you probably trust each other so yes. much. There's yes, just that's the other thing. Underlying... There's, there's so much trust, and and with the pace that this business has grown, and having to raise so much money and do so many things, like I really just had to trust Michael on so many things that I didn't really understand, and and because he's my brother, I trust him, and and I know he you know wants. The best for me and so it's and been really business. good and the business what i guess th- there's an important thing i want to dig into a little bit let's dig in outside of even the brother okay so that's important that's a weird dynamic <laughs> um it is it's hard you don't hear about it often i know it doesn't I, work people out always there. think i'm crazy business partners what has changed and what has been successful with your brother being your business partner your husband being a business partner yeah. now compared to maybe when you were 20 and you're all kind of trying to figure it out. What what have you found that works and what doesn't? And 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 what would you say to anybody out there listening? Because we have a lot of young, you know, entrepreneurs and investors kind of listening and wondering yeah. what makes this work, what makes it doesn't. Well, I think it I think it's um it's definitely like age and maturity. And I think when you're younger, you're you're so trying to um prove yourself constantly. And so you're there's a lot of doubt involved. You know, I think for us, the thing that makes it work is there's such like a clear cut delineation between what I do, what Cameron does and what Michael does. And we have, like you said, so much respect for what the other does that there's, you know, we let each other kind of, even if we all discuss things all the time, but even if there is a disagreement, if it's a creative thing, we'll let Cameron ultimately like make that decision. So I, you know, I think that it's, it's, um, it's like knowing who the boss is in that given situation, in this scenario for sure. And, you know, and I think that there's, you have to, like working together with, you know, with your brother or sister. I mean, for me, my, my brother happens to be like my best friend. He's one of my favorite people. And I know that's not the case for, for everybody, um, who would like, would rather die before working with their sibling. But, but for us, like we've always had a really good relationship and we're really good friends. So it's, it just really works. And I think the, the fact that we went through what we went through with Nicole Miller definitely helped. I think had we not gone through that, our relationship wouldn't be so strong business-wise because we wouldn't have had the opportunity to, you know, have worked together and not, um, you know, and fought and realized what we were doing wrong to do things right. Or you also wouldn't have had the arguments that you never wanted to have again. Yes. Right? Yeah. And and also, I I think that because, and to answer your question too, I think because I was young, I was in my 20s when that started, and when we started Dry Bar, I was in my early 30s, or mid-30s, and I was just a lot more like, certain of myself and confident mm. in myself. And I was like, not, not that he was pushing me around, but I'm like, I'm going to stand up for what I think. I'm going to say what I think now, where I think just in general, just I in blow business, dry my hair and you don't. Yeah. So listen, up. <laughs> you don't have any hair. That's the problem with him. Yeah. So he has no grounds. No, um, he actually knows way more about hair than any straight guy should. Can he style? No, God, no. <laughs> but he will say to me like, that girl needs a blowout. Right. And you know, yeah. he gets it now. He Is it, it harder to work? With your siblings then or your spouse? Because this, mm. you don't just, I mean, the sibling well, thing might be I know weird. You kind of glazed over the spouse thing, actually. Well, it's funny because my brother, like, like kind of secretly loves when I'm fighting with my husband because then he's not going to get in trouble for anything. And my husband kind <laughs> yeah. of loves when I'm fighting with my brother because he's, it's like, they're so funny like that. They're like, Mike's in the hot seat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so but it, it is, it's different. It is hard with my husband, probably even more than it is with my, my brother. 
How? Because because like we have to like I'll get annoyed at him for something and then I'm at home with him later still annoyed at him about that same yeah. thing. At least with my brother we go to separate homes, you yeah. know, and then we can we have some space which we, my husband and I have learned through lots of therapy that you should not talk about things when you're mad. Like, yeah. let that be a lesson to anybody listening. And I don't think it's just for husband wives. I think for anybody, which my instinct and my brother's instinct is like, when I'm mad, I just like, I need to like duke it out and talk it out. And we have to talk and we have to talk because I cannot move on until we fix this fight, which my brother's like that too, which is why we really go at it, but fix things fast. My husband is like... You know, we like take a couple, he wants to take a couple hours away from each other. And then I'm like, you know, he'll like, if we're in a fight and he'll sleep in like the guest room and I'm like, just talk to me, you know? Yeah. And he's like, I'm not talking to you. You're too mad, you know? And so there's, so it's just like, it's just more on you when you're, when you're working with your husband. But again, he's, I do also really implicitly trust him and he's, he's a genius at branding and creative. He's so smart in that. And I, and I really trust him and he really trusts me again when it comes to hair. And what's been interesting just about building the brand is when we do a, like a lot of how-to videos and Cameron like is the director of all of them and does, you know, and will write really writes like the scripts for him, but I kind of inform him on the hair and what it means and whatever. And I'll, I'll explain something to him and he'll be like, I don't understand what you just said. You have to give that to me. And like someone who's not a hairdresser, don't talk hairdresser to me because I will explain like you need to like overextend the section and, you know, and he'll be like, what does overextend mean? He has no idea. And he's like, if I don't understand it, nobody else is going to understand it. So we need to like make this like user friendly. So that's, that's been good. I mean, it is funny though, because still to this day when we're like on set together and he'll like tell me to like redo something or I'm like, why? Yeah. And he's like, just do it. Meanwhile, when I'm like on set, like for something else and the director tells me something, I'm like, okay. You know, yeah. it's so, interesting. I wonder, do you think it's a benefit that you care so much about the person personally outside of the business? Like you have to go home and you don't want this relationship to end not only personally, but also yeah. in business terms Pick or is battles. that, yeah, or is that a, a detriment to the leadership team? No, I mean, listen, I think it's, I think it's good and bad. I mean, I certainly feel like there's pros and cons, although I will say that, you know, four years ago, we brought in a professional CEO to dry bar. And up until then, it was like me, Michael and Cam making every decision. And a lot of those were like irrational decisions. And we were coming from a place of emotion. So when we brought in John, our our CEO, he's so like even keeled and like things things through and doesn't react. And we're so reactionary and like we jump the gun on things all the time where John can take things back. So, you know, we say like he's the adult in the room and he's has this like calming effect on all of us to like, you know, which I think is is really ultimately better for the business. And and it's also it gets kind of tricky because there is the like personal side of things. It's like if I want something to Cameron to do something you know, that he doesn't think is right for the business, but I think it's right for the business. And it's like, well, Michael's the go between. And then that's a really bad situation. So having John and then just other people in leadership, we have, you know, a president of retail, we have a head of product. I mean, we have, you know, high end exec level, like probably 10 of them in our company now. So mm. it's all the things that we did, you know, the first couple of years in the early days, you know, we're, there's somebody who like a professional who's doing those, which of course we still inform everything, but having somebody who has experience growing and scaling a business has been really helpful to help us how do you scale. know when the right time to bring in a professional ceo is like that must have been a big decision for well, you well before you need them is is probably the best advice i would give you because what happens is like you don't want to be 
And I and I learned what this. What size were you when you brought somebody? Well, in? I should back up because we also raised a bunch of money from a private equity company, Castanea, about I, maybe like five years ago, and it was like twenty million dollars and a lot. And you know that was earmarked to start product and all of that. And about a year into that relationship, they came to my brother, who was the CEO at the time, and said, "You know, we think we want to replace you as CEO." and find a professional CEO. And my brother was like, okay with it because, you know, being a CEO of a company that's growing as fast as we were is, is like a daunting job. You have to manage a lot of people. And like my brother would say, if he was sitting right here, managing people is probably not his highest and best use. So he recognized that and he was okay with it. I, on the other hand, was like, very bratty about it and was like, I don't want a new CEO coming in here and changing the culture. And I was very against it. But Castaneda was very bullish on it. And they're like, let us just introduce you to people. If you don't like anybody, you know, we can go from there. But we'll vet people and we'll and I did meet a lot of like very ivory tower CEOs, great people, great career, great resumes, very expensive. And I was like, these people are great, but no, they are not, this is not the right fit. You know, we have this very like mom and pop type culture and it's very family oriented. So I was very, you know, apprehensive about bringing in a CEO. It, John turned out to be great because he really understand under, had worked in other founder-led organizations. So he understood what it meant to come into a founder-led company. Um, but, you know, so that was that was something that we need, knew we needed. But even before we hired John, I mean, we were about maybe seven or eight stores in and Michael was like, I think we need to hire like a head of operations to help us scale and somebody who's like open stores. And we actually ended up hiring a woman who had like worked for Taco Bell and opened like a hundred Taco Bells a year. And even though the the industry was different, she knew how to like put systems in place and, you know, make sure everybody got paid and make sure that like everybody had what they needed to open a store. Because when it was two, three, four, five stores, like we got it, we figured it out, we bootstrapped it. But then once we got to this point, you're like, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. We don't really know what we're doing anymore. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, that's then, and then you just need a lot of people, a lot of process, a lot of systems to to keep the train running. It's, so awesome. today you have over 100 stores. Yes. You're franchising all across the country. You're growing. We have about 30 that are franchised. The rest are company owned. Okay. Just What's the future look like? Um. So there's still, we still think there's a lot of opportunity to open more stores, but we also launched a product line about four years into the company, which is now sold in Sephora, Ulta, Nordstrom. I go on QVC um, and we have about 3000 points of distribution on our products. So it's blow dryers, tools, all of that kind of stuff that is, is probably around 25, 30% of the overall business. So it's a really, it's a huge footprint. We just opened a lot of international locations with our product. So that's kind of a big focus of ours is the product. Because if you don't live near a dry bar and there's, you know, there's, to me, there seems like there's so many dry bars, but if you don't actually live close to a dry bar and you live, I don't think we have any in Indiana. Um, Probably not. You could, but you could go to your local Sephora in Indiana and pick, get all of our tools that our stylists are using inside mm-hmm. Drybar. So because we have this credibility of, you know, being the pioneers and the blow dry experts, people want to buy our products and tools. So that's a huge piece of the business that continues to grow. So we're kind of growing in two different paths. You have a new podcast coming out too, yes. right? Well, you, have you it launched just it? launched a couple of weeks ago. And basically... You know, as you might imagine, just from the little we've talked about today, that there's so many people who are coming to me and my brother daily asking us for advice. Like, 
like you said, how do you know when to hire? How do you know, you know, when it's time to scale your business? How do you know how to raise money? How do you know how to get brand? And like the, uh, questions after questions. And we, I get emails all the time. I get DMs on Instagram and I, I don't have like 20 minutes to have coffee with everybody who asked me, but I do feel a certain like, you know, this, like, I want to give back and, and, and help people because so many people helped us along the way. And, and I feel like I have a little bit more flexibility in my schedule these days. And so I felt like a podcast where I can actually answer, we answer a lot of like DMs from people, but we can like have other entrepreneurs on the show, talk about their experience and then how it applied to our experience and teach people like, you know, what these different terms mean and how you raise money and all and of that. what's it called? It's raising the bar. Raising the bar. Check it out. Did you learn a lot about hair today, Ben? I learned so much about hair and and leadership. There's so much here, Allie, to your story Thank that you. I think so many people can relate with. I really, I mean, and, and now um, I hope this is my after listening to you because I'm in it right now, right? I'm I'm in a company that that I helped found that I'm running and operating as the president. And he has hair. And and I have hair. I'm saying, I get the like overall weight of starting this company and managing everything yourself and is doing it off everything. the ground yet it is it is it's been eight months in and i'm feeling that the heaviness and the burdens of that and i'm just saying for you your success story of now i hope you can take a deep breath look back at everything that's been accomplished and just say it is good and now feel like that look at the future because you've done well ali ali webb thank you for coming <laughs> you on guys. lady bosses oh, and yeah, thank you fun. so much i i, I really want to just way in a second and know how it feels probably that Allie eight years ago was just carrying a weight and a burden for this idea of dry bar and she didn't know where it would go but she believed in it enough and now today she sits here and I just I, I, I love that she can take that breath and see what was created amongst and it has to feel good Jesse that it was created now with her brother and husband alongside of her like they've all done this journey together right it was all three of them not just female founded you know it's about all of us working together um you know my passion is obviously empowering women so i think Allie just speaks to that and she's going to be this great female leader for all these young women to hear and learn about also ben she reinvented an industry it's crazy where you know like there's a million nail salons yeah. there's you know she was like, okay, people want me to blow dry their hair. And so I'm going to create a whole company around that idea. And that had never been done before. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. And the, our next guest reinvented a whole industry as well. I mean, they <laughs> reinvented something we all know and we all love. We have the founders of Voodoo Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was man. that a voodoo or was that a woohoo? I couldn't tell. Woohoo, voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have Kenneth Cat Daddy Pogson on the line and Trace Shannon. Yeah. Gents, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Uh, for anybody out there listening, um, our. our our producer uh, Easton literally got so excited and was clapping and, and popping his up and down on his watering. because he loves Voodoo Donuts so much. I live in Denver, Colorado. Voodoo yeah. ha has a special place in my heart. And, uh, and honestly, um, gentlemen, I have. In, before we get talked about your business, um, I have a background. I was on The Bachelor at one point in my life, and on my date to Portland, Oregon. Um, Lauren Bushnell, who ended up becoming my fiance, took me to Voodoo Donuts during the show. I remember that. I remember that. 
Yeah, so you guys have a special place in my heart. Oh, wow. um, I, I know there's a ton of questions. I, I feel like I'm so familiar with Voodoo Donuts. Uh, but a couple people in the studio right now are asking uh, what exactly you are. Can you summarize what Voodoo Donuts is right now for us? You know, uh, we turned it into the Barnum and Bailey of donut shops. Uh, we we just made crazy donuts. We like to have a fun time and make it a crazy fun atmosphere and just just make it something nice. Everybody deserves a treat every now and then. And why not? You know, why not have a fun time while you do it? And we do still make and always did from the beginning a very quality. Typical donut as well, just old-fashioned glazed donuts, buttermilk bars, and those sort of things. But as we'll probably delve into a little bit later, I mean, starting to experiment with different flavors and textures and uh, ingredients sort of <laughs> sort of became the, the Barnum & Bailey that it is now. I, I love that analogy, having just watched The Greatest Showman. Have you guys seen that? Oh, my God, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so good. Like, best movie ever. I well, but I'm a good watch. <laughs> it's uh you guys there's one thing that's always funny about voodoo and i don't know if you meant to do this and I don't, this is my first question i've been dying to ask and i'm glad i got you on the what line what is it what's the first um, question they have a pink box that uh they put all of their donuts in and so if you're in oregon or if you're even in denver sometimes or and you're flying on a plane you'll see a bunch of people especially in portland every flight that you're seeing flying out of portland they'll have this pink people will have this pink box with them was that planned Yes. <laughs> yeah. When we uh, when we were learning how to make donuts, they had pink boxes at the at the little facility, and, we, and they were just seemed odd. But I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that you know, uh, pink boxes is a traditional bakery, bakery box. box. But it had kind of faded into the back. So when we saw it, we were like, man, that really sticks out. And then so we open, and there's people tell us, they, oh, I see those pink boxes all around town. And finally, we were like, you know. We should write our name on it. So we, we started stamping them. And then after a while, we finally got to, uh, to actually, you know, we designed the box and everything. And, but, man, what a, what a great humbling thing because it all started off with, as I see your box, then it's like, oh, man, I see those boxes at the airport. And now it's like, I see your boxes at airports yeah. all over the world. Yeah. Tanzania, Mount Everest. Yeah. Confiscated in Hong Kong. I mean, it's brilliant marketing. People will clearly remember. And so what's voodoo about them? Like, can can I cast spells on people? Well, it's, you know, subjective as it is, uh, it's a, you know, it's a fun theme. We provide the opportunity for your voodoo, but, you know, the voodoo you do is up to you. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we encourage people to do it in a positive light for goodwill and good faith and, you know, good things, which this earth really needs right now. Right. But some people choose to, you know, hex their ex or, you know, maybe somebody owes them money and they want some voodoo dolls with some dollar signs to leave on their doorstep. And we have said forever, too, that voodoo just has a lot of O's in it, too, and they look suspiciously like donuts. So. <laughs> Uh, absolutely incredible. So um, I'm reading here a little bit about the makeup of the donut. And so kind of how I, I would love this conversation to go is to talk about, we've, we've talked about Voodoo as, as a company, um, but I would like to kind of talk about what makes you different. Well, how did you disrupt the donut market? And one of the ways it looks like here is you actually have your, the, do you have your own Voodoo oil? Yes. Yeah, exactly. We have our, you know, we have special Voodoo shortening that we fry in, which it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's that different from what other people use, but I feel like we treat it differently. We seem to feel that a lot of donut shops filter maybe once a day, maybe once every few days. We filter ours three times a day so that we have the utmost quality and cleanest oil we can to fry it. 
And you've always done that. I mean, this has been a practice. Yeah. So just to give you guys some background, this this podcast is created to uplift uh, people who are disrupting the market, especially women. Um, so we have a lot of women out there that are trying to start their own companies or have already invested in companies or whoever in leadership at whatever companies they're in. And so some of these practices that, that we want to communicate to them uh, really starts with small businesses. And so your small business from the very beginning was committed to quality and cleanliness when it comes to one of the most essential ingredients I would imagine to a donut, which is your shortening and your oil. Yes, of course. And that's, you know, that should be common in almost any business. But, you know, I think a major part of our disruption was at that point, you know, your classic American donut shop was, was what it was before we opened. You had your donuts. You went in. There were electric blinding lights, uh, and you had, you had a glass counter that you looked through, and we approached it from a completely different angle. We have spinning cases. Uh, we had it electrified with colors. We actually had a theme. I mean, where, what donut shop had a theme before Voodoo came along? And, and it's kind of like the Kleenex. You know, people, people rarely ask for a tissue. And we're very humbled when people say, well, what, what is it? Is it a donut or is it a voodoo donut? Because then we've actually kind of made a mark. And Cat Daddy and I are pretty fortunate in that we're both very good at getting in front of cameras and being hammed. But Cat Daddy really had to grill into me um, that we couldn't, you know, we're good at that. But if we don't have a quality product, um, all of that just falls to the wayside. So you so just call him Cat Daddy on a regular basis? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, What's you, your you middle call name? The shop and ask for my real name. Most people won't know who I am. What are you asking for? I feel but, like. <laughs> go ahead. Trace, you you need a you need a middle name. Uh, Trace, Trace is a Trace, Trace is a nickname. I'm a <laughs> oh, it is a nickname. Oh, I see. <laughs> Tracer, we'll call you Tracer. We know those. Cat Daddy and Trace. What are what was your background? I mean, so did you have a business background? You 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 launched this thing, which is a few locations now or at the very beginning with one location in Portland, Oregon, did you have a background in business and why did you believe this would be successful? I had a uh, hospitality background. I've been in food service since grade school and I'm, you know, I'm 50 now. So I've, I've got my, I've been around the track, uh, never much in the kitchen. Then that was new for me on this, but I understand the front of the house, the back of the house, inventory methods, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, was like the back of my hand, and I wanted to go off and do other things, but every time I would do that, and mostly in the creative world, I would, you know, you land back in food service. It's what I was really good at, so I decided to actually go ahead and do that, but combine my creative nature with it, and then bringing Trace in, who also had run his own club and been on that block where our first shop is for almost 20 years, probably, you know, over 20 years at this point. And, uh, and we just kind of came up with this idea so we didn't have to work for anyone else. And why not a donut shop? We, we didn't know it was going to be that. We had lots of connections. Um, I've, I'm a front guy in a band. Uh, but, yeah, I've had, I had no background. I've worked in restaurants, but always in front of the house guy and never in the kitchen. I mean, as soon as we got in the back, I was like a three-compartment sink was just amazing to me. How many donuts on average do you guys eat a day or a week? You know, uh, it's you, you, once you're around something a lot, it, it gets <laughs> us. But we've been doing donut uh, testing for a new product, and so we've, we've been, been eating a lot of eating a lot of donuts. I still probably eat about one a week. I used to eat one a day, and now if we do eat them, we're mostly kind of like wine tasting. You might take a bite of one and spit the rest out, kind of casually. What's the what's uh, the one we should all try next time we go in one of your stores? 
Uh, well, the world-famous bacon maple bar, most people can never go without. But if you want to go with something kind of classic, I really like our blueberry donut and just a fresh glazed donut. Even mm-hmm. even as, you know, quote, unquote, boring as that is, that's a really, really, really good donut. And uh, those are, I mean, my favorite donuts, the buttermilk bar. So I would be uh, amiss to not mention that. Easton over here, our producer again, just shaking his head at every single thing you just said. He's like, yeah, I like <laughs> so that one. I like that one. Like, yeah. What's the craziest flavor of topping that you've put on a donut or that you, you consider putting on a donut? Sloppy Joe seasoning. Yeah, sloppy Joe donut maybe. You know, we kind of played with that a little bit, which which wasn't bad, but, man, it was sloppy. So I don't know how good that's going to fit in a box with a bunch of other sugar. But good point. The oyster donut <laughs> was kind of a bad idea. We're playing with Spam. Huh. That's so spam. That has to be, that's just the craziest thing that's ever existed. So it has to be the craziest topping. Spam donut. What's your, what are the two of yours? I mean, so you're the founders of this company. It's grown. It's recognizable now. What are your roles today? Uh, We uh, nicely planted in the role of uh, brand ambassadors. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking to you. We're we're spreading the word. And we're, you know, we're still uh, looking over making decisions, helping out with uh, marketing and the, the big picture, but we've stepped a little farther back from the operational side of it, which is uh, which was a good plan because we were, you know, as, as a background that we have, it was in running an A-place. Not running, you know, we're up to, you know, five places and two license agreements right now, and we're good, we're great, but we need, we need to, yeah, it gets complicated when you get 200 employees, so Having some people in to help us with operations on a on a what we're hoping for a national scale uh, has been really great to uh, you know kind of step back from that and really concentrate on the big picture, the fun stuff, the voodoo, the the flavors and stuff like that. I get it. Yeah. What's the motto you guys live by? Because it sounds pretty great. <laughs> Boy, I don't, my thing's about fun, fun, fun. I just always want to, uh, you know, continue to have fun doing what I'm doing at my work and trying to do it in my you know, personal life as well. It just seems like getting too serious about everything is sometimes just sort of counterproductive to the way my brain works. Yeah, it is a nice thing that, you know, what we're doing. And, yes, it's fast food. Yes, it's fattening food. I would never go on in any camera, any podcast, that you should eat three donuts a day because it's good for you. But I like the idea that we, we're in the, ha- you know, kind of the happiness business, like flowers. When you see people show up with flowers, everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. When people walk in with that pink box, it's a break. It's a respite. It's a treat. And everybody deserves one of those every now and then. It's, uh, you, awesome. you just said something that I think really I want to want to touch home and highlight. Is, is you all look at this. Yes, you, you do sell donuts and yes, that is your product, but you're not in the donut business. No, you look at it and you say you're in the happiness business, which is a feeling. So you're kind of in this, this business of cultivating joyful, fulfilled, happy feelings and moments, which I think is so important. It kind of, it takes back the layer to, um, to the why of what you're doing this. Hey, we, I know we got to get you going here, but before we do that, um, for any critics out there and, and, and for anybody saying, oh, it's donuts, right? We're in a day and age where everybody wants to eat healthy, be healthy, stay fit. I mean, are there really critics of oh, donuts? Oh, 100% no there is. What is the future of the donut world and, and, and donuts in general look like and how will Voodoo Donuts stay on top of it? That's a good question. You know, we, we uh, you know, 
I guess not humbly take credit. You know, we, we were the first crazy donut shop. We started putting crazy toppings on, and there's a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of people trying to, you know, do their own thing, which I'm all for. I, you know, what I can't stand is when someone, you know, steals all of our donuts and puts them on triangles and acts original. But there's also plenty of other people doing their own thing with donuts. And so I think there's going to be this huge variety uh, that's, that's flooding the market of, People who are either imitating us, there's individual people, and and what is really taken off, too, is the gourmet donut, which people try to uh, put us in that category. I don't really consider ourselves gourmet. We're more exotic. We're the classic American donut done in a crazy different way. We're not making them from scratch and, and you know, trying to, you know, get the chef involved. And in our world, that also uh, is, I don't think you can make thousands and thousands and thousands of donuts a day if you're making it from scratch. Uh, you need the stability uh, of a mix to really to really be able to do that. So I'm looking forward to a big open field with a lot of donuts, and and then that's also a challenge to us. To, you know, we need to stay ahead of the game. We need to keep uh, doing the cool, keeping the cool thing we do, but still remaining relevant. We need, you know, we need a new bacon maple bar, which which is tough. A new bacon maple bar. Well, that, I mean, this sounds amazing. I'm going to be eating a lot more donuts today. Um, Yeah. Well, you guys are so great. This was so fun. Thank you so much. Everyone check out Voodoo Donuts. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. One takeaway. I think that we have a theme going on. What's um, the theme on this podcast? There's a lot of themes. there, There is. And there's one that really sticks out to me is when you scale... And when you start to grow, hiring the appropriate people around you to help you get there. I mean, they've talked about it. Um, Allie talked to about know it. Who is, uh, who are the appropriate people, and who it is, is the right person? It that has you to be the to fit. And Allie, you could tell with Allie. I mean, she's a founder. She has pride and, and an ownership. This was this was a piece of her uh, when when Dryball was starting. And the same with these guys. Same with Cat Daddy and Trace. Is it, and so as you start to hire on these new employees, Jesse, how do you figure out what a good fit is? I think you need to figure out what you need the most and where you are stretched thin. And that's where you should hire when you can't breathe anymore in one direction, whether that be your operations or um, for hiring, what have you. You need to find the person who can take that off your plate and then you can kind of train them and hand it off and delegate and um you know, I think it, it's on a, you have to check it out on a case by case basis. Something else I want to say about Voodoo Donuts is they've reinvented an industry with branding. You can tell like their whole product and business is really built upon this idea of fun and, uh, you know, crazy branding and being kind of a circus of donuts. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool. And that has built this business. You know, it mm-hmm. shows when you're passionate about something. Um, it really speaks like that's why they've created this fan base just by talking to them on the phone. We didn't have them in studio. I could just tell they were so passionate about Mm -hmm. this and they're so much fun. They've done something. I think it's so cool to look at Voodoo Donuts as a study and say, okay, they they have donuts, right? Uh, That product alone crosses all demographics uh, from every level, age, ethnicity, background, whatever, you know, wherever you live, location. So they've taken this product, they've enhanced it, and now you see businessmen and businesswomen walking on the plane with the pink boxes. You see hipsters in Denver, Colorado walking around the pink boxes. You see five-year-olds asking their families to bring the pink boxes home to them. They've taken this thing that, okay, I can get donuts in any of my cities, but they've changed it to say, I, mom and dad, I'm a four-year-old little boy. Please, you're going to Denver. You're going to Portland. 
bring the pink box home to me because they're different and they've stretched. And I think one other key point here to finding the right people to add into your company. I know yeah. Generous has struggled with this and we've, we've hired on some really incredible crazy talented people who have done really well for us and helped us grow. It's because we've we've looked first at not changing the culture because we want the culture to be generous. So with people that have the generous heart, the servant's heart, and who are going to walk into this and have the right characteristics to not totally disrupt what we already have going that's good, but to kind of fit into this mold and just enhance everything we've already had. And I think it's really important as you hire on new CEOs, presidents, even down to the, the people who are, are fulfilling packaging, um, make sure they fit the culture first. Oh yeah. Above anything a, else. A um, culture can kill a company completely. So that's really smart. You guys hire that way. Next up is something uh, we've waited for for a while. Patrick Kerning is is with us now. Patrick, you have a story that I think will captivate our audience. I mean, this is one uh, that is exciting for for us to listen to. Um, not because I would ever think of it myself. Um, but because it's a disruptor in an industry and in, in a market and a sector that you saw, and you, now you've you, you've attacked it, Patrick. Hey, welcome Patrick. to the Lady Bosses and Ben podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, Patrick. Um, this is Jesse Draper, by the way. We you you pitched us a little while back. Um, I did. And, and clearly, this was a miss on my part because I heard Forerunner Ventures invested, and you've had a really great run. Well, so what are yeah, you guys doing? Have... Tell us how you got started. Right. So, look, I've been in uh, 10 years in tech and then 10 years in uh, lifestyle branding, marketing, communications, and really combining those two decades of experience and sort of this inflection point in the industry and really being on the right side of a conversation, being on the inclusive side of a conversation. For the last 10 plus years, I worked uh, with every major global luxury brands, and my job really was to keep people out. It was all about exclusivity. And um, now it is a, it's an incredible time just for women in general. Uh, you know, fashion and retail is upside down, so there's no better time to enter the market to create change, to disrupt uh, an ecosystem that has flawed. And it's just been all about bringing together the right business with the right narrative at the right time. And so why, so first of all, what is 11 Honoré? Give us your, you know, your yeah, quick the spiel. Yeah, the version is it's a multi-designer e-commerce platform for women beginning at a size 10. Um, and we really are becoming the new runway. So we work with every major luxury designer you've heard of, right, that has never historically designed for this customer before. So we work with them hand-in-hand hand on an edit of the collection to ensure that it's on trend, makes sense for our customer. And when you come to the site, your experience is different than other e-commerce sites because it's really this curated shopping lifestyle for a customer who's never had access to a wardrobe like this before. And so you take, so you go to, so some of the designers you carry are, uh, who, who are you carrying? Uh, I'm looking at I mean, where, where we launched, I think this is an interesting data point. We launched with 15 brands. And now uh, for resort delivery, we'll be at nearly 80 brands. And do you so have like Oscar De La Renta? Is that one of them? Uh, no, we have Monique Lillier. We have Zach mm -hmm. Posen. We have Baja East. We have Brandon Maxwell. We have Tanya Taylor. We have, uh, you know, there's, there's nearly 80 brands on the site. And so these brands are all high-end designer brands that do not produce um, clothing for the plus-size market, correct? 
Right. And the whole intention and ethos of the company was to create change, right? We wanted to lead a conversation. We didn't want to follow them. Obviously, we're not the first player in the plus market, but we're the first player in this lane to be creating options for a customer that has otherwise been excluded from the fashion industry. So, you know, And it's really a huge market. It's enormous. Yeah, but 67% of the U.S. population is a size 14 or higher. It's a $20 billion market opportunity. It's fantastic. Well, what are you what are you excited about right now? What are you guys working on right now? Uh, brand matrix and the evolution of the product we're offering on the site is a constant. Um, so we're really, really thoughtful and really, really mindful about the brands we bring on, always listening to our customer. You know, I say this in many interviews, we're customer-obsessed and we're data-obsessed. So it's never about what I think the customer wants. It's about listening to the customer and reacting and exceeding her expectations and delivering her on what she's asking for. And so that's just a really important point because it kind of sums up the company, right? We're all about customer first. And so brand acquisition is always forefront in terms of things I'm excited about. We've launched our editorial platform called Page 11, and that's super exciting. It's a storytelling um, place where we talk about fashion, we talk about lifestyle, we talk about wellness. Uh, and very targeted and very focused to our customer. And so whether or not she's shopping that day, she can participate in the 11 Honoré community because that's what we're creating, a community. And why did you want to solve this problem? Look, I think it's a unicorn of an idea. Uh, so that, that in and of itself is exciting. You know, as I mentioned briefly, I was in tech in 10 years and fashion communications for 10 years. I worked on a project with Marina Rinaldi in the early spring of 16, and I think the seed was planted then. And then I came up with a concept in August of 16. And for me, um, working with every major brand you can imagine over the last 10 plus years, you know, I wanted to create a product and an experience and an environment of inclusivity and one that's never existed. So, you know, bringing all of that together, bringing my experience together, bringing a team of people that I've worked with over the past 10 years in various degrees together, it's just been this familial company that we're growing day by day super fast and super quickly and creating this culture and community, not only with our customer, but also internally, it's, been, um, it's just been a huge, it's, it's just something I'm super proud of. I mean, Patrick, as a man, how did you know this was the, the lane and the arena that you wanted to operate in and that this was the issue that you wanted to attack? Well, I think that's a good question. And yes, I'm obviously a man, but I'm also a gay man. And I think I can relate to marginalization. Um, I can relate to being bullied, I can relate to being made fun of. And so I have a lot more in common with this customer than what meets the eye. And I think after spending 10 years on the exclusive side of fashion and being able to create a lane that's all about kindness and all about inclusivity um, based on, you know, how I've been treated in the past, you know, it, it, it is it is this movement component. It's this mission-driven component of the business that truly motivates me. I love that. And you're also empowering uh, women by giving them access to these beautiful gowns that they never had access to before, where they dream about wearing what's on the runway, but they couldn't, they can't because they don't make it for their size. 
And it's so funny because I was uh, on a, a glossy podcast, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, what people don't realize in fashion is that sizeism is alive and well, right? It's something that is real. It's something that exists. And it's something that we, we fight every day. You know, there's a tremendous amount of stereotypes around this customer, what she likes, what she doesn't like, what she'll spend money on, what she won't spend money on. And all the data in the world led me to, you know, this one simple point, which is she's just like everybody else. She just happens to wear a larger size. Patrick, you've, you've identified an issue. You've started to make a solution. What has been the biggest struggle then coming through this? And, and I guess what has been the motivator to get you through those struggles? Well, the motivator, hands down, is the customer, right? She is, she is everything to me. Um, and so that's why I get out of bed. That's why I fight the way I fight. That's the way I, way I run the company. That's the way I raise money. It's always for her, first and foremost. Um, and I think it's always a great question to ask about what the biggest challenge is because, you know, you can plot and plan and think what the potholes are going to be, and then you avoid those completely, and then it's the secret ones that you never could have uh, – Managed. I think the biggest challenge in any business is always human capital, um, attracting the best talent, keeping the best talent. Um, and, you know, culture is so important to us. We're, um, I think that's been, that's been a challenge, but, you know, we're coming through it with an amazing executive team and an incredible uh, uh, leadership that is really, you know, why this company is being successful because it's a joint effort across the entire company, right? This is not something that could be accomplished by one individual. It really does take a village. Uh, before we say goodbye to you, because we, I know we've got to soon, um, Patrick, we have a lot of listeners out there, uh, young women, older women, um, men and women. Um, and, and I'm sure there's some women out there listening that are plus size. If there's any message that you want to tell them, if you want to speak directly to them, Patrick, as somebody who is fighting the fight with them and for them and, and creating products, uh, that they've desired and needed, what would you like to tell them? They have a seat at the table. You know, they're invited to this party as an equal, and they deserve everything every straight-sized woman has. Perfect. Patrick Kerning at 11 Honoré. We appreciate you. Thank, Thank you for coming you. on, Lady Thank Bosses and Ben. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, guys. Bye-bye. Jesse, you mentioned to him that he actually came to you um, to invest into this idea. Yes. And you said no i said no why so you know um first of all i say no a lot more than i say yes uh and for me it's about um finding companies that are you know i want to create the next billion dollar company and i want to know that they're going to last 10 years because that's about how long it'll take to build a billion dollar company um and i with him he was creating a company that was going after other people's brands and opening it up to a plus size market. And it's still a great idea. But for me, eventually, I'd be concerned that Zach Posen and all of these high end designers would say, Oh, my gosh, we're missing out on this entire opportunity. We don't want 11 on array selling our dresses. We're now going to open up to the plus size market because it's a $21 billion market. Mm -hmm. And so also it's a very busy space. I'm actually already invested in a company called Eloquy, which is plus size women's clothing, but a different um, demographic than he's going after. So it's huge opportunity, but I also thought he doesn't own any of the clothing. For, so for me, it's like he doesn't have anything that's uh, defensible or protectable as far as his own, you know, designs. 
So I would imagine like the Patrick's of the world and, and when you have a brand similar to his, and let's use him as the case study here, uh, the Nordstrom's, the larger companies would come in and, and either start their own lines or try to purchase his. So let's let's say for the example here is he's getting attraction and interest in purchasing his brand mm-hmm. for a startup like his. I mean, it was August 2017 is when they launched. Right. They're doing very well. Yes. But his valuation will be pretty low still. Pretty low. Uh, um, would you recommend him selling early because of the threat of, of other brands coming in and, and creating their own lines? Or would you recommend him sticking out? Kind of how are you, how would you? Uh, I would sell early because so far the designers haven't realized that he's taking advantage of their you know, opportunity here, I would say sell it really early. But as an investor, the reason I said no was essentially like, if you sell it early, I only make a two X on my money. I want like 25 X 30 X, uh, on my money. And that takes longer. Yeah. So, I mean, for you, for how do you know as a brand when to sell, I guess, and when not to, I think it's about the market. It's about, you know, like for him, the things that I think he needs to really think about are, how many other companies there are in this space and what types of opportunities there are to sell. And right now, traditional retail companies are actually looking for, you know, Macy's and Nordstrom's would be great um, acquirers of 11 Honoré because they don't have any of the customer information. They don't have any of the uh, info and he's direct to consumer. So he's shipping to the people. He doesn't have storefronts. And so that's actually a huge opportunity for them. You know, Unilever bought... um, Dollar Shave Club mm-hmm. for a billion dollars, something like that. And they bought them because they had all the customer information. Mm-hmm. And then Unilever owns Gillette and all of these great brands, but they don't have like the names and addresses and emails of mm-hmm. these people. So Dollar Shave wasn't necessarily doing a bajillion dollars in sales, which is a true number, bajillion. Um, but they were... <laughs> uh, they were an interesting acquisition because now Unilever has more power because they have the customer information. It's so interesting and something that I think is is great to consider. I'm sure Patrick Patrick is is thinking about this often. And he's going to make money. This guy's going to oh, be a 100%, success. Oh, 100%, but it's it's you know, when do you want to give it up? How do you want to give it up? And to what amount do you value your company at? And I mean, we I ask that question every day with Generous is where what is our value, not only monetarily, but as a brand, as a as in terms of what how it relates to the customers, you're constantly valuing what you're doing on a daily basis, no matter if you're the founder, owner, or just an employee, I think it's important to value where your impact is and what the brand that you're representing's impact is. Um, Jesse, thanks for your insights. Thanks for your knowledge. Thank you, Ben. We'll talk to you soon. Follow Lady Bosses and Ben on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. iHeartRadio. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, 
Whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.